Good evening. You're listening to episode 19 of the Hackable You podcast with me, Ed Merritt, and my two esteemed co-hosts, Alex and Will. Evening, guys. Episode 19. Here we are. How are you doing this evening? <laughs> episode 19. Episode 19 feels unlucky because of COVID-19, I'm just saying. Yeah, true. We're doomed now. Should we just skip it like Windows do and just jump into the next round number? Will, how are you? Uh, tired. Very tired. End of the year. I feel like, I feel like you say tired a lot. I do. You're just showing your age, well, man. You need to be more right. youthful. Me. Jesus. Uh, do you know how the heart is working with two fucking 16-year-olds? Not you two. Every couple of weeks. But yeah, yeah, I'm all right. Just work is busy. And it's, I think it's because it's the end of the year, isn't it? You know, you're sort of mid-December. Mid-December? Well, I don't know. But we're in December and it's it's been a rough old year, isn't it? So. Yeah, it has. Yeah, yeah. Which brings me on to a really nice segue there. So uh, with Christmas coming up, this is going to be the end of the podcast for a little while. We're going to take a season break. We're going to cap off season one here. And we're all going to get a well-earned rest and break over the Christmas period whilst we focus on what is not only a really important time for our day jobs, but also just a chance to completely switch off and uh, re-energise ready for season two coming back in January. So thank you to everyone that's been listening so far. And we will make sure you are made fully aware of when we come back for a rebooted season two of the Hackable You podcast. And with that being said, let us roll the Cyber News jingle. And first up, if you work in the industry and haven't heard this news already, then get out from under your rock. However, leading cybersecurity firm FireEye have been subject to a hack where hackers have stolen the copies of the company's red team tools. The CEO of FireEye stated that in his 25 years of working in the industry, he's come to the conclusion that the attackers were highly sophisticated and likely state-sponsored although no attribution has been made yet. While no customer data has been confirmed to be stolen or exfiltrated, the tools stolen represent a high risk to organisations, as essentially they could now be used as digital weapons. It must be said though, FireEye's response was strong. They released countermeasures and signatures for all of the tools they know to be stolen, and I am sure a company like FireEye will continue to share as much intelligence as they can as this story unfolds. Really interesting topic, I think, this week, especially to see a firm as credible and as important as FireEye are to the industry getting targeted by highly sophisticated attackers. What do you make of this one, and what do you think the future is for this company? I think that it's um, it's not all that surprising. Well, it, it, it's shocking, isn't it? Because I guess it's, not, it's, you know, it's, it's un- unrealistic to say it's not surprising, but of course, it's shocking. You know, it's a big cybersecurity firm, and you know, there, there's many out there that say, you know, how much confidence can you have in someone? You know, if if they, you know, in in a cybersecurity company, if, if this is going to happen to them. But you know, we've said it before. You know, and we we'll say it again that you know, it proves this could happen to anyone, and it did. Yeah, know. and FireEye basically are walking around with a massive target on their back. They're known for the customers that they have, government organisations, massive FTSE 100 type companies, clearly have access and created a number of tools that make their security engagements worthwhile and as realistic to real threat actors as possible. So, you know, it's it's not a surprise that they've been breached. It's not a negative thing, I don't think. You know, it's uh, it was always going to happen. 
And I think we can consider it quite lucky that no data was stolen and just some tools were stolen where essentially this company know the ins and outs of the tools. If they wanted to release complete restrictions and how to block them, then they can. And, and you know, again, we'll, we'll highlight how good their response has been. You know, and, and clearly their response has been so well prepared, well versed and, you know, documented probably that, you know, it was probably just a case of literally picking that book off the shelf and saying, you know, this has happened. Here's what we do now. And, you know, that's, that's been, you know, amazing, and and that's that's all, that's all you can ultimately expect a company to do. It's it's the old adage at work here, isn't it? It's it's the not if, it's the when. You know, it's not if it's not if yeah. I'm going to be breached or am I going to be breached. It's a case of when it's going to happen. Uh, and they must have cheesed off a lot of APTs over the years. I think they've probably made a long list of enemies. Like yeah. like you said, they've got a target on their yeah. back. Um, so I'm actually not surprised by this. Um, because it, it could actually happen to anyone. And I think we're going to see a lot more of it. You know, it, it just shows for cybersecurity, there's no silver bullet. There is no fix to everything. Um, it doesn't really matter how good you are, how strong your defences are. There is going to be a way to hack you. It's, it's going to happen to you at some point. There was, you know, LinkedIn, I guess you could say social media, but a lot of people talking about negative comments towards FireEye and how they've been criticised or scrutinised in the news about the fact that a top cybersecurity firm, a top cybersecurity firm, got hacked, it might be embarrassing. I mean, I must admit, I didn't see any negativity towards the industry. Maybe I'm just connected with the right people and like-minded people. But uh, I, I, I do agree. You know, breach shaming isn't shouldn't be a thing. I, I think we've mentioned this on the podcast before. I, I, you know, you don't get any benefit from shaming someone from a breach. It's always going to happen. Um, and what sorts the wood from the trees in my eyes is the ability to respond well. A good response means everything. If you're a company that tries to sweep it under the carpet, hide the facts, not disclose it to your customers or uh, a kind of shareholder base, you're in the wrong. And FireEye here have been very forward thinking. Yes, it's happened. Here's what they've stolen. And if you're worried about them using the stolen tools against you, Here's a load of signatures that you can put on your IDS systems to make sure you're aware of when that happens. You know, you, you, they're targeting a company here who are world-renowned for their incident response capabilities with Mandiant. You only have to look at the Cognizant ransomware breach who had FireEye's Mandiant on the case and how excellent that was and how we were raving about their good response at the time. You know, these guys would have dealt with this well. I'm sure they'll still be responding to it. I'm a little bit gutted I'm not part of that team because I reckon that's just so interesting. There's so much to learn there and I can't wait for the, the rest of the story to unfold. I was going to mention the Cognizant thing because it's an, another brilliant example of how to do a a response to a breach. You know, you're very, very upfront. It shows such a high level of integrity and such a good character uh, for that company and for that team to come up and, and be very upfront as soon as possible. Here's what we know. Here's what we don't know. Uh, and here's what you can do about it, rather than just trying to pretend it didn't happen, like some other companies have done in the past. It's, it's a bit of a double-edged sword, right? Because you, you wish that the majority of companies would react in a very similar way. And from working in my time in retail, uh, in the retail industry, you know that customers come first and customer retention and their ability to come back and spend more money is really important. So any impact on trust that might have is uh, is, is questioned and and going public and making statements about how you were compromised or hacked wasn't really seen as the thing to do because you then risk a you know a revenue stream being impacted. I do think that being a part of the cybersecurity industry and having like-minded individuals understand what they're going through does help FireEye. 
it's probably not easy for many other businesses or organizations to have the same attitude but it does show a shift in the right direction and as a top cybersecurity firm should they lead from the front and give us all lessons that we can learn so we could respond similar when it happens to us in the future i think what we're going to be seeing now what we are seeing now you know we're not judging a company on how much we can trust them by are they going to be breached it's going to be how they handle that breach so if we look at some of the biggest vendors out there looking at a vast semantic trend micro they've all, they've all been breached in the in the last few years and even google back in 2009 yeah. Um, yeah. so we, we're definitely looking at a case of you know it's not oh can i trust this company is my data going to be safe it's probably more along the lines of when they get breached how they're going to handle it and will coming from that kind of pen testy kind of background what do you think it means that tools have been stolen? You know, there's a, there's government data in there of, you know, cybersecurity, stature, strategy, probably incidents that have happened against key organisations across the globe, yet hacking tools were stolen. What do you make of that? I mean, I think, um, you know, it's not knowing the, you know, the, the objectives of, of the APT, it's difficult to, to ascertain whether it was a case of that's all, that's the juiciest thing they were able to get a hold of. Or whether that was their their primary target, you know, I'd be leaning towards it. Probably wasn't their primary target because, you know, they're they're not a governmental organisation like the um, the shadow brokers um, hack some years ago, where you know they were targeting, you know, a, a government who was you know hoarding essentially, um, you know, zero days and stuff, which were you know good old uh, NSA. Well, yeah, I mean, I I understand, you know, if you were to target those for their tools because those tools are. You know, you're basically nicking zero days and you know what weaponry, aren't you really? Whereas this kind of feels like, from at least from th- at this early stage, that perhaps they were, and I think it was alluded to in an article that they were they were going after um, some of their governmental customers, uh, and actually, you know, the, the FireEye did probably quite a good job in defending those customers, and actually, the best thing they they could get away with at that time was some some red team tools, um, you know. I, I've had a look through the red team tools, and you know, there's there's quite a few um, backdoors in there, and you know, some other bits and bobs. It's quite interesting reading. Um, there's nothing in there that's kind of that jumps out as really critically groundbreaking and nasty. You know, it's it seems like just the sort of general bits and bobs that a red team would use. Yeah. On a on a kind of regular basis. Now you could say you know those tools may be, um, you know, uh, sort of molded to their clients that they that they test or that they do red team testing for so maybe yeah. those clients are more likely to be you know um affected by those particular tools but i think it's too early to start drawing conclusions on that really it does make me think about how the company will yet react moving forward because if these tools are pretty select and unique to fire it almost becomes a unique selling point for that side of the service for the red teaming penetration mm. testing side of things we know the tools are built around uh, real tactics and techniques used by APTs. They're as close to the real thing as possible, um, if not, as we'll probably find out now, the real thing. So I, I do wonder whether they're, they're going to take an impact here because they're going to have to rethink and rebuild their capabilities to try and uh, mimic uh, a new tooling or, or maybe they're going to have to you know, quickly change the products they're using in order to be successful because as they've given out those signatures most of their engagements might be spotted uh, by their customers because they've given away how to spot them 
So the next news item touches on the fact that the European Medicines Agency has been subject to a cyber attack that relates to unauthorised access to documents relating to a COVID-19 vaccine candidate. The EMA, which are responsible for COVID-19 vaccine approvals, have stated that some of their data for one of the candidates that was stored on one of the servers has been unlawfully, unlawfully accessed. It's important to note that nothing relating to BioNTech or Pfizer have been breached in connection with this incident, and at this stage it does seem to be a sort of supply chain attack. What do you make of this one, guys? We're seeing these uh, COVID-19 sort of COVID-19 theme in every episode sort of uh, throughout this year, really. I think we, st we, st we started <laughs> with the uh, yeah. contact tracing apps, we then touched on the NHS app, Come and on, now yeah. we're going right the way through to the vaccines. I, I love it, right? It's almost full circle. There is something cybersecurity in every stage of this bloody virus. Um, I'm not shocked at the something behind the COVID-19 vaccine has been hacked, breached, whatever you might call it. It was only a couple of episodes ago we were talking about how the Sputnik V vaccine for Russia and we had some form of data breach against it. Honestly, it's just rife at the minute. Attackers knowing what attackers know what people's gold mines are. For a government, uh, a vaccine right now is a really critical piece of information. It's a really critical medical program to roll out. And if anyone's able to get information on how that vaccine is built or the structure of it, and they can repeat it and make it even cheaper, then you know you can really affect the medical industry. You can affect the pharmacy side of things. So, yeah, I think it's uh, it's not a shock that it's happened. I think more of it will happen. It, it's just poor timing, right? Because it was only last week that, or two weeks ago, that the UK government announced they were using the Pfizer vaccine for UK immunisation. The first vaccine went in, what, yesterday or today to a 90-year-old woman. Um, so it's just poor timing, right? It's all going out now. I think, you know, the good thing is here is that the vaccine is already approved. What we're using has already happened. It's not impacted our ability to roll out the vaccine as yet. Although, Will, I'm pretty sure you were talking about something that might change people's mind on that this was always going to happen wasn't it ultimately you know we spent or we say we so you know a number of the we'll say the, the wealthier nations have spent um you know the best part of, of the year working very hard on the vaccine developments i mean you know the amount of billions of pounds and dollars gone into development you know they're not cheap to develop and they're especially not cheap to develop in such a short space of time um so it was in my opinion, you know, it was it was inevitable that eventually a, you know, another state especially that doesn't have the money to develop these vaccines, you know, what their options are, you know, well, we could nick it and then, then reverse engineer it. You know, it's a pretty, you know, a pretty viable method for them, really. Um, you know, that, it means that they skip all of the, all of the um, development life cycle, whatever think, and just get the product at the end. Um and yeah, I mean, like you say, you know, and we're seeing it not not just targeting the vaccine intellectual property, which you know, which is what's happened here, but um, there was there was also an article talking about um, how um, there was the actual cold supply chain. Obviously, the, the Pfizer vaccine and to some extent the Moderna one coming requires um, to be chilled at you know pretty ridiculous temperatures, minus yeah, 70. minus seventy degrees. Yeah, that's well, the cold. the the, um, the Moderna one is minus a hundred apparently. So. Uh, I think honestly, that's the temperature in my house sometimes. This UK weather, no joke. Um, apparently, because I'm a ginger, that's the temperature of my soul. But whatever. <laughs> <laughs> what soul? Oh yeah, it's true. Um, 
but um but yeah sorry so so the, the there's been you know evidence as well of the actual that cold and very you know very important cold supply chain being targeted as well to potentially disrupt um, the vaccine rollout i think the i think the attackers or the cyber criminals get put into a couple of different pools right the first pool is like you said intellectual property state sponsored gain intelligence gain information that will allow an organization a nation state to be ahead of the game in rolling out a vaccine by saving costs in not having to develop and all these sorts of things it's a very business savvy if you so to speak way of uh, uh, thinking of a cyber attack and then there's the real malicious actors who are there to disrupt the vaccine from being successful whether that be via its rollout and pausing delaying stopping it the rollout from going ahead as normal or whether it be completely destroying supply chains to stop the vaccine from being created in the first place. Alex, you mentioned as you were summarising that this is a supply chain attack. A number one cause for a majority of cyber breaches uh, you know, this year has been supply chain. And I think it's more important now than ever to really have a tight supply chain when it comes to goods and services as important as any vaccine is, but specifically the one to the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine. Especially if you're looking at it from like a biological warfare point of view, you know, if you can't uh, damage the vaccine in any other ways by disrupting that cold chain, you know, what's worse than getting injected with an already sceptical vaccine is getting injected with one that's not been stored and handled correctly. It's been compromised via a cyber attack. Yeah. I feel like we're just giving anti-vaxxers more ammunition. Yeah, maybe so. Well, I think they're the two major news items we wanted to cover this week, which give us ample time to move into our topic of the week. So, as we said, we're wrapping up the Hackable You podcast for 2020 on this episode. We're going to take a break and be back for season two in 2021. And I wanted to just settle down and look back at 2020 what a year it's been, but call out some of the trends and themes that we've noticed throughout the year and discuss what we make of them and potentially what 2021 might look like as much as we can predict with what we know so far. So uh, guys, 2020, COVID, lockdowns, pubs closing, Alex being angry that you can't get a beer and every once. It's been a tough one, but what have you made of it from a cybersecurity point of view? There's been so much happening. I'm just looking back at thinking back now to the previous episodes. We started off in our very first episode talking about the House Party app. And I think that very oh, that, yeah, that, 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 that death, very quickly it? died a death. Uh, the House Party app and everyone thought they'd been hacked. And fast forward to today and we're talking about FireEye and they've been compromised. I think we've covered such a breadth over the, o- over the year, really. Um, and it's been really, really enjoyable. We've we've touched on uh, lots of ransomware, but specifically the double extortion ransomware, the, the next gen ransomware, whereby oh, you love it. Oh, don't I you? love it. You know, whereby the data is stolen and encrypted, so then you're being extorted in two ways. We've touched on hacked sex toys, which if you haven't listened to that episode, go back and listen to hacked sex toys. <laughs> it's a funny one. I give you that. I, I yeah, I enjoyed talking about that one. The biggest theme I think is ransomware. Maze, the threat group who we've only recently mentioned have hung up their boots and and retired, have been so prevalent. Ransomware has had massive impacts on organisations this year because not only from a financial point of view, those that are looking to pay the ransom are already impacted by COVID-19, but with businesses working remotely, hitting critical services can really take an organisation offline. 
we've seen the maturity of ransomware operators. And this is what I find really interesting, where ransomware was, you know, has been turned into a business and a viable, credible business with websites that provide customer support, news pages that update people on the dark web as to what companies now being breached and who they're extorting. Uh, even some of the statements have been made come across as professional services rather than a criminal trying to take money off of you. I do think that ransomware will continue to be a threat for sure, but in 2020, it's grown exponentially. I think this is this was always kind of predicted though, Alex. I remember being at a, a conference with you, what, in 2017, just after WannaCry, where we were speaking to someone from some company who was like, ransomware's the next big thing, blah, 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 blah. And at the time, I disagreed because it wasn't. You know, WannaCry had happened, not Petty had happened. It had a detriment, it had a massive impact on the globe. Absolutely agree with that. But I feel like it, it had taken two or three years for ransomware to really come into fruition. We'd gone a couple of years without seeing ransomware as being such a big thing. So yeah, after Not Picture and WannaCry, we went through the likes of seeing our crypto jacking and our form jacking, our mage cart. They were really big for a year. If looking at the likes of BA, uh, that was that was a huge thing for that year. We were seeing uh, the, the JavaScript injections and, and, and stealing credit card details that way. There was no ransomware for a while. And then suddenly, back with a vengeance. Some of the key themes that I see aside from ransomware are kind of communication channels, Zoom, Zoom were battered at the start of the year with lockdown, with uh, abilities to Zoom bomb people, to compromise uh, meetings, etc. And I think that's going to continue. Virtual communication and channels like Zoom, Microsoft Teams, WebEx have been proven to be so important to the day-to-day running of a business. And I think that's where we will start to see a shift that these platforms will be targeted even more. Because if you're able to infiltrate a conversation and gain intelligence on communications or even just disrupt someone's operations that way, you can gain a massive, there is a lot to gain from it. I'd even start to think that, are we going to see a time where uh, the likes of critical systems and tools are being encrypted by ransomware? Gone are the days where your files are encrypted, but actually, or no, you can't even communicate anymore because we've encrypted your ability to talk to people. And I think... As people become more reliant on the software, we will see attackers leveraging that. Levering, leveraging that as a way to get in, to infiltrate, get a foothold into a network or cause mass disruption. The other thing I really wanted to call out across 2020 just looks at how we all as companies and uh, professionals working in the industry have had to really think about the basics of security with remote working and understanding our attack surface and footprint. I think that this year has shown us what really matters to an organisation. And for one of the first times, I think boards are waking up to that. A technology first approach is really important. IT is an enabler to a business of being successful and security is the thing that stops that from being successful. If you're able to hack, to breach, to stop your critical systems from running, your technology from allowing your business to succeed. And this has been a re- this has been really good for the growth of the industry. I think we will continue to see boards and senior executives look towards technology for answers rather than people and processes, so to speak. And that means there are more systems to breach, more technologies to target, and essentially more opportunity for a hacker to try and achieve their actions. I mean, I remember um, back in... Back in June, we had an episode 
we talked about the um, Honda ransomware. Oh yeah, in fact, um, their, um, their supply chain and the all, all sorts of systems. Wasn't manufacturing it really? line that was all. Yeah, say. yeah. And I, I remember going into um, my local Honda motorcycle dealer. Uh, I think in July. Actually, Here we go. It was a bit of a while afterwards. Just doing my usual perusing for for ways to, to waste more money that you know that I don't have. Um, and um, and I and I remember talking. You know, I was talking to the um, to the guys there, the the salesman who knows me knows me very well because he's you know fleeced thousands Stolen of pounds loads of, of money from me. out of me over the year. Yeah, but you call <laughs> him dad <laughs> though, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I call him I call him the bank manager, but whatever. Um, and um, you know, I remember them saying, you know, there and then, you know, we we don't have. Um, you know, we, we can't register, you know, new bikes, we can't order new parts, we can't do this, um, you know, having, because of the, the hack, and that was like a month or six weeks after, and I think for me that was like the first time where, for me personally, where, you know, a, a cyber attack had actually had a kind of, uh, you know, a, a linked kickback to me personally, you know, from a something that's sort of like a hack. tangible, right? More yeah, like a, like, like a hack that's actually causing me an inconvenience or something or, or, or an issue. You know, because this, you know, because my company still couldn't buy parts for my bike that I needed and stuff like that, or whatever it was. Um, and I think that was, I don't know, if it, that that was, you know, quite a quite a memorable point for me, I guess. Um, I think we're going to see more big companies uh, being hit, and I think it's going to be, especially amongst our community, amongst the infosec community, there's going to be more understanding and acceptance of. Uh, it it generally just is about when and not if. So I think from like an instant response and a business sort of security operations point of view, I think there's going to be quite a big change towards um, not just trying to keep people out. I think there'll be a bigger investment on how to restrict lateral movement, privilege escalation. So sort of having that acceptance of we probably are going to get hit at some point, but when when we do get hit, how can we minimize what they can do? Absolutely, yeah. Well, guys, thank you. I think that shows uh, real interesting thoughts looking back at 2020, the whirlwind it's been, and, and looking into 2021. I agree with everything that you said, that ransomware has been a massive topic. Communication channels will continue to be some form of threat. Uh, the ICO will be coming down harder on people uh, and all sorts of things. So, we only can do what we do best and uh, we look forward to some time off, but jumping into 2021 with a fresh mindset, ready to deal with the next bout of cyber issues and cyber attackers next year. And our last segment, Secrets from the Sock. How can we follow on from such a great topic of the week, I hear you ask? Well, We're going to talk about this week how a security operations centre and Christmas collide. It's no shock to know that Christmas is when things slow down. People go on holiday, especially before COVID, people in the office would be going having drinks, plenty of hangovers in the office, I'm sure. The pace of life just seems to change around Christmas. And this has a knock-on effect to how a SOC is able to operate. Lots of socks work 24-7, 365. The managed services definitely do, and they've got to be on it constantly. We've already mentioned how you can't hide from cyber. You can't hide from attacker. They don't care that it's Christmas. They don't care that you're on holiday, and they're going to give it a go anyway. But it has a real impact on the way a sock will work. If you are called out for an incident and you need to get hold of someone to help resolve, 
maybe someone from an IT team or another business function, they might not be there. They might not work under the same premise or organization that you do. That's going to cause some form of kink in the chain, right? So I want to touch on your thoughts about how Christmas impacts a SOC and what advice you'd give to someone working into a SOC to enable them to still be successful in a very different time of year compared to normal. It's going to be a lot like the first stages of incident response as a whole, so preparation, right? So by now, if you're working in a SOC, you should actually be knowing your plan for the Christmas period. You should be knowing who you're going to be able to contact over that period. And you should be knowing who's going to be working over that period. Yes, you may be running a skeleton team, um, but you actually need to be aware of, you know, if the proverbial hits the fan on Christmas Day, what is, what is the plan? Who can I get out of bed and who can support me? Because it's, it, you know, it's, it, you need to accept that there's going to be people that don't want to work. There's going to be people that are on holiday. So f- accept that you're going to be having uh, a shorter a shorter team and a tighter team. And it's going to be difficult to, to operate fully. Accept that, but also plan for it. So know where you're going to go when things go wrong. What do you think it means for that triage or prioritization side of things? Do you think that there is more scrutiny on what alerts require certain action? Do you think that more will be left to be dealt with in the new year or another time? Do you think there will really only be a focus on the stuff that really does seem like a major threat to the organisation? And do you think we're going to see potential major breaches off the back of that because people just aren't looking at alerts and detections in the same way? I think that's a business call, right? So the Security Operations Centre is there to support the business. So if the business is happy to prioritise certain alerts and to stop looking in certain areas, then yes, that's absolutely what's going to happen. Uh, and I've seen examples of that happening before in various organisations. You know, we come to the Christmas lull and it is signed off somewhere or is it, it is accepted that certain platforms maybe don't get monitored or don't get monitored to the full extent. Uh, and absolutely there's a potential there for breaches to occur off the top of that but if that is something that the business has signed off on um, then that's that's the way it's going to be. I just think that this time of year goes to show the importance of automation and being able to streamline manual processes because if you're an operation that is heavily reliant on people sitting at screens looking through IDS alerts and doing a lot of manual triage this time of year becomes a real challenge because that that resource is thinner. Like you said, like you might be running a skeleton team. Your ability to quickly triage things by asking a few questions is kind of out the window because the people you might ask questions to aren't there. I think it just goes to show how you need to mature very quickly and enable automation and things like SOAR to really allow the white noise to disappear into the background and be dealt with so that when the phone does ring or the alert does ping, you know you need to respond quickly and efficiently. And like you said, Alex, it's all about preparation, understanding who you can call when you have a problem and what business units are functioning over the Christmas period as well. Businesses continue to operate on Christmas Eve and business will continue to operate on Boxing Day. No more is it a long holiday where you have lots of people out of office for, for a long time. And I think we'll see that a lot this year with people remote working and being at home is that it'd be quite easy for someone to kind of hop online and support A, because we're all in lockdown and we're kind of restricted to the freedom we used to have. But also it's just so simple and easy to to be connected into work and to do your job. I think that that, that need for that massive breakaway and the inability to get hold of someone might not be the challenge that it once was. 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it's a really sort of sad testament to this year. You know, we've all been working longer because we've been at home and you may find that we are more susceptible to be willing to be available on Christmas or, you know, working on Christmas just because there's actually not that much else to do. If the overtime um, pays it, eh? <laughs> overtime? I don't, know, I don't know what that is, sorry. <laughs> oh, savage. <laughs> but um, it's, also, uh, it's also, you know, it's also, a, it's also an awakening to you know what the role actually entails because the expectation needs to be set for any sort of budding stock analyst or anyone that wants to work in cyber security that there will be times when you have to respond on christmas day no point trying to trying to hide it you know cyber security is 24 7 the threat actors never sleep um so <laughs> the the threat actors never sleep so unfortunately there will be times when you have to work when you don't necessarily want to but that's what keeps us on our toes and keeps us uh, you know keeps us excited excited absolutely attackers know that this is a downtime like uh, a good attack will wait until people have left the office or the weekend when they're not working they know this is a quiet time and they will use it to their advantage so we can only sit here and wait for it to happen and respond the best way we can when it does but we do hope that everyone who's working in a SOC or security over this Christmas break does get a rest ability to spend some time with their family or their loved ones or whatever you're doing if you do celebrate Christmas uh, and come back in 2021 refreshed and ready to go. So there we are. That wraps up season one of the Hackable You podcast. It's been a journey, something we started in lockdown and will continue to grow into the new year. Guys, it's been an absolute pleasure doing it with you and thank you to everyone that's listened and supported the podcast liked shared commented it's been great to see the growth we've had over the last few months and uh, we do hope that we continue to grow into the new year but i think all that's left to say is merry christmas and a happy new year even though it's a bit early to be saying that to you alex and to you will and i uh, will catch you all in season two of the hackable you podcast in 2021 Seasons, greetings, uh, happy Hanukkah, joyous Kwanzaa, etc. Oh, very good. Seasons, greetings, covers everyone. Very inclusive. Um, yeah, happy new year, happy Christmas, and uh, see you in 2021.